Welcome to Common Ground YYC on Livewire Calgary. Reviendra à la ville de Calgary. Today, Calgary is a different place than it was yesterday. All right, welcome to Common Ground, episode 16. I'm your host, Josh White. I'm here with Ryan Pike. Welcome, Ryan. Howdy. First, a little shout out to my brother. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to my brother, Jeff White, who uh, does the yeoman's work of editing this podcast um, this is a Flames-themed episode with Ryan uh, from FlamesNation.ca. And uh, my brother suffers from the same affliction uh, of being a, flame, a lifelong Flames fan. Uh, so I just wanted to recognize him for doing much of the hard work of putting this podcast together uh, from afar in Denmark. So thanks, Jeff. And Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you start just telling us a little bit about your history, how you ended up with... Uh, with uh, Flames Nation and a little bit about what you do there. Oh my goodness. Okay. Where do you start? Uh, I grew up in Calgary. Uh, So my dad was a season ticket holder uh, dating back to when the Flames moved here in 80. So I sort of had no, I I was doomed from the start, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, But went to UFC at the end of, uh, I wrote for the gauntlet for about five years, six years. And then basically when I graduated, I sort of reached out to uh, some places looking for, uh, for writing work. One of the places that would, that was still, uh, you know, hiring pl- people back then was I got, got on as a freelancer with the flames, uh, game day magazine, the, the old yeah. program. So I did prospect stuff for a while, uh, and then kept doing that. And then, uh, I caught on with, uh, the hockey writers, uh, which is based in Montreal. Uh, yeah. would have been December, 2010 is when I started there. So I just missed the, the heritage classic. And then I caught on with uh, Flames Nation, uh, May of 2012, and then right away we had a lockout. So uh, <laughs> obviously I'm bringing uh, nothing but doom everywhere I go. But yeah, I've been uh, one of the the main writers, editors, uh, jacks of all trades uh, at uh, Flames Nation since about 2012. Yeah. So I want to. We're going to split this podcast mostly into two so two segments. Uh, first, I want to talk uh, about the arena project, the event center project. I know you've been following very closely, so this is one one topic I want to uh, cover the gamut with you. The second half will be actual Flames talk, so the <laughs> roster, the season we had, the off-season ahead, and what to expect. So if you have no interest at all in either the arena or the, or the Flames themselves, you can choose to listen <laughs> to one half of the podcast or another. But I uh, want to take a little bit of a shot at talking through... One of the one of the people I love interacting with on Twitter and social media, talking about the Flames, you know, both in game and and off season, and and someone who has a real pulse on the, the club uh, with Ryan here. So let's start with the arena. So as I mentioned, you've been you know you've been uh, with hockey writers and Flames Nation for a while, so you've sort of seen kind of the saga from from its early stages and kind of how it's evolved over time. Uh, you've done quite a bit of writing about it on Flames Nation and hockey writers and so forth. So now that the season's over, you know the listeners of this podcast may know we had we did have a an episode with Michael Brown, who's the CEO of CMLC. He's on the uh, event center committee. Uh, with city council he's helping lead some of those negotiations we're now at the end of the season i think a lot of people are kind of expecting everything to ramp up now 
What are your expectations in terms of the next couple months, given the history of everything that's gone on? Let's jump right into the, the it. next couple months. Yeah. I, I figure we'll have we'll hear something very definitive. Uh, probably, I'd say May June. All right. Uh, I think uh, so. Everyone knows sort of uh, everything hit the ditch in September 2017, or at least it was announced that it hit the ditch. Uh, the Flames and uh, the City Council were basically talking sort of high-level talks uh, from about 2013 when the first 11 rows of the saddle alone flooded yeah. until pretty much straight through till the end of July of 2017. Yeah. And there's some of it was sort of, you know, very high-level, like, you know, hey, do you think we could do something? Oh, yeah, maybe. Okay, well, maybe where should we put it? We kind of have some ideas. What do you think? Sort of West high Village. Level. West oh, Village, yeah. you know, I, I think... I, I think Pretty much from the get-go, the city and its various entities have really wanted the East Village and Vic Park, mostly partially because it doesn't make sense to cannibalize the development they're already doing. Because yeah. you know, let's be blunt, they put a lot of eggs in that basket. They, you know, and it's in the city's best interest to make one project fully fleshed out before spreading Moving spreading all. And, and you know, let's be blunt, the West Village might be the most expensive place to build in North America right now, or one of them. You could probably build on a marshland more readily than you can build on all the creosote because there's so much stuff you have to do. I think the the the, the most conservative estimate I've heard from the from uh, people working for the province is about 150 million to actually do it, and that's sort of ballparking it so it'd be yeah. probably by the time you get into it if, if someone says you 150 million it's probably 250 300 million yeah just to back up a bit too i i have a bit of history with this file as well from my time at the mayor's office i think the very very first interaction that uh the flames had with mayor Ninchi was in sometime about mid 2011 when they were starting to float some ideas and it was about 2013 or 14 when they really started to come forward with a, a, a little bit more concrete idea that they might want to go over West Village. I, I ended up landing on the front page of the Calgary Herald a couple times, <laughs> thanks to Common Ground episode uh, guest number two, Jason Markasoff, when he was at the Calgary Herald. <laughs> so what he did actually was foiped. So Freedom of Information Act, he actually foiped the mayor's office on the internal communications about about the uh, the arena and the West Village project. And he ended up with a bunch of emails that I had been sending back and forth between my bosses and myself about what I thought about the site and what they thought about the West Village site. <laughs> I think I was quoted as saying they would be crazy to pursue the West Village, just given what you talked yeah. about. And that's, that's the thing, because I think, yeah. you know, immediately if someone says, hey, we got all this empty land, would that be cool? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a cool idea, but it's one yeah. of those things like Ken Wilson, uh, my old colleague, sort of yeah. phrased it best. I think he compared it to an onion at some points where it sounds really cool, but every time you peel it back, you're like, oh, man, this yeah. sounds worse and worse the more details you hear about it. In many ways, I understood why they wanted to go for that site because it was a distinct place that they could really uh, control a vision for, or drive a vision for, for a facility they wanted. But you know, it became it was evident to us, at least very clearly, that the cost of it was so prohibitive, especially even when it was just an arena. When they when they coupled the concept of a football stadium with it, it, <laughs> it took even more of the land for. To, away from other tax-producing uses. It made a tax increment finance yeah. or community revitalization levy even a bit tougher than just an arena. Yeah. And it was already a tough case with an arena, given the context. And so the, the city's effort's always been to kind of steer it away. I just, I just sort of expected that my season tickets at the time would be canceled when I showed up at the door. And, <laughs> I and, probably wasn't a popular figure. And to be honest, like since Roger's place opened in Edmonton, and basically since yeah. uh, the ink drive with Steve, uh, Steve Mandel and, uh, and Oilers Entertainment Group, 
uh, I think pretty much the, the hope from Flink's management and Flink ownership was, oh, well, let's just get the Oilers deal. Yeah. And the Oilers deal, it, it's a bad deal in a lot of different ways, but I think it's especially dicey when you sort of look at a geographically contained area like yeah. the West Village and go, okay, to make this work, you're going to need a certain square a certain square footage of tax-generating properties, and the more grand you think about your project, the harder it makes it to make work economically yeah and especially with the nosediving of the office and commercial market it it just makes a crl in that kind of location with those kind of costs just hard to flow but i think the good news is everyone's sort of aligned now towards stampede park and putting it in that that location but you touched a little bit on the deal that edmonton got and the sense that i think everyone has in town is that was a you know a pretty sweetheart deal for for the ownership of of the Oilers. Maybe the Flames have expectations of that. The citizenry and city council and the committee might have a little bit of expectation of something a little bit less in terms of public public contribution or maybe a different structure. In your in your view, kind of what you've been you tracking Seattle and all these other projects. You know, what do you think? A fair deal looks like in the context of Calgary, the market we're in, the location, and the needs that the Flames have, the needs well, the city have. I'm going to steal a line from your old boss. Uh, you know, public benefit has to be a greater public gain. So I think that I think the thing that we're going to see probably when whatever provisional deal gets gets uh, finalized in the coming weeks is this sort of uh, a discussion about what the public benefit is. You hear it reverse next couple weeks it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but just, I hope so. Well, hopefully not going would. But yeah. just it's, it's in the sense that, you know, if if uh, you know before if it's like, "Oh, well we're going to build an arena and only season ticketers can use it and you can't really look at like if you look at the Saddleome right now, the last the Saddleome, I love the Saddleome. But it's essentially just an old pair of sneakers with holes in them where, yeah. you know, its usage are rather limited. It's a very fortress-esque piece of architecture. It's not welcoming. There's not a lot of engagement with the street. There's not, And it's basically – it's a giant monolith surrounded by parking lots. Yeah, it's and, horrific, yeah. Yeah, and it's very much a product of the architecture in the 80s. If you look at sort of, you know, a lot of urban design, urban affairs architecture stuff from the 80s and 90s, it's, oh, let's just build big, scary-looking, you know, things that yeah. look like the 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 – Base and men in black. Yeah. And then people the come across. Was a, a, a yeah. good example of a football baseball stadium was pretty, pretty grotesque, actually. Yeah. And sort of how, how a stadium architecture, partially because of just tr- trends in, you know, yeah. how things are going, but I think partially because if you're, you know, a council, if you're a, any kind of uh, someone involved in the civic sphere, if you're going to be thinking, like, say, yeah, let's just say, I think of a good example because a lot of these didn't exactly get public money. Yeah. Uh, but even if you look at just look at Edmonton, if you look at Edmonton, Rogers Place is gorgeous. And the cool thing with Rogers Place is they've managed to sort of uh, they have a bunch of windows, so it's sort of outward facing, and they sort of figure out ways to engage people who are sort of out on the street. So even if you're not a you know an Oilers fan, or even if you're not you know uh, someone who goes to a lot of concerts, you kind of want to go check it out because it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, to to a certain extent, even though it didn't get any public money. Uh, T-Mobile Arena in, in Vegas is like that too, where it's sort yeah. of, it's engaged so much cool stuff around it that it's sort of been able. Like MGM's made money off of that property yeah. and made money off the development, and they just went, you know, MGM and AG, AEG just went, hey, want to make more money? So okay. that's you know that's clearly part of the goal in terms of public benefit is to actually have a, a building, a facility, and public space around it, and silver uses around it that really help enliven a place. Yeah. you mentioned a couple of ones, Vegas and Edmonton. In your research analysis, putting funding aside, just from a pure community development point of view, 
Uh, is there other good analogs that the cities and the and the flames be looking at? Like I've heard Columbus come up. A few I've times. heard Columbus is really good. Yeah. Uh, what they've done in Nashville around uh, Bridgestone Arena, yeah, is very really well good. integrated in kind of the main strip there. Right? Yeah, like right. I, and I think that's if you look at sort of some of the plans that CMLC and and the event center committee have come up with, that's kind of what they want to go for. Because yeah. the idea, the challenge with the, with the Calgary right now is, you know, bless our hearts, it's it's as much as we want to say it's a sports town. I, it's a Calgary. It's a Flames town. It's yeah. you know this, the the Hitmen had a really good year this year. They didn't really draw very well because I think partially because the Flames are doing well, and if the Flames are doing well, nothing else can draw because people are yeah. sticking all their sports and uh, entertainment budget to the wards of the Flames. Yeah. So I think if if we just accept okay, the, the tentpole adventure of this thing are going to be you know Flames games, hockey you know hockey events, uh, and to a lesser extent concerts, Roughnecks, Hitmen, you know, hit, you know things like that. Then I think you can wrap your head around. But just the whole challenge with Calgary is you have seven o'clock games. People who who can afford to be season ticket holders or get tickets regularly usually you know work downtown and they live in the suburbs. So they get out of work at four thirty five o'clock. They haul ass in, in downtown traffic home. They grab their tickets. They change or grab their jersey. They grab back in. They haul ass back, and they plunk back in. Yeah. Part of it's because you know parking is insanely expensive in Calgary. Part of it's because and part of it is just because if if you have the choice between you know coming to an event like a concert or a Flames game two hours early and just sort of mulling around, there's not a lot to, not, do. Not to do. There's yeah. more than there was five years ago, but there's still not very much. And that's kind of the itch they want to scratch because in all the areas where to it create more works, of an experience that's beyond just well, the bill uh, inside. The th- this is sort of you know comparing apples and oranges because you, you know the Cubs have been in Chicago for like 120 years. Yeah. But you know I you know if you go to to Wrigley Field, any, anyone who listens to this is a sports fan. I don't care if you're a baseball fan or not. Go to Wrigley Field for a game. Yeah, it's it's a place that has a sense of history, which yeah. not a lot of stadiums do. But it's also a place where you you get off the train, you walk out, and it's Cub stuff all over the place. And you can it's like a part museum, part yeah. zoo, part food court. Yeah, you can easily spend two hours just yeah. milling about, and then before you even get into the yeah, stadium. I found like the ATT ATT Park in San Francisco, same kind of yeah. environment. It's just so well integrated into the city, and it, like I was, you know, I went to game one. I should have gone all of them because they won game one. So I, I obviously brought good luck. But they had the red lot. It was terrible weather that day. But even when it was even better was weather, really cool. the concept was really cool. But it was so sad in the sense that you look at like when you have Raptors or Leafs games and they're right outside the arena. It's this cool public space. Or even in the Winnipeg context where they have that cool street beside the thing. It was this weird cordoned off parcel in the middle of a barren parking lot yeah, and it looked good on close pan on tv but there's just no like the atmosphere of an upside down toilet bowl there yeah. it's just like you're in a like you're beside that weird yellow bridge you're in the middle of a parking lot it's not a very enlivening and, experience other than you know the beer and the the booze that'll flow in there that bring good spirits and yeah. the people around but the environment itself was so grim so bleak because there's just nothing around the Saddledome. And that's the thing, because I think, because, you know, you don't get a lot of walking traffic, so it's essentially outside, out, Stampede Park, I love the Stampede, I love Stampede Park, it's such a cool place, and it can be such a cool place. During Stampede. During Stampede, yeah. and because there's foot traffic. Yeah. And the problem is, like, you know, w- one of the things is, it's, the Saddledome is, after 30 years, th- this came up in 2017, we, you know, I flat out asked uh, Ken King this at the press conference, the, we have no deal, we're going to hang on as long as we can press conference. Yeah. Well, why, why hasn't Stamp, why hasn't Saddledome worked? And, you know, I think there's any number of reasons why the Saddledome hasn't spurred along a lot of development. Some of it is that the Stampede board was just sort of gradually accumulating land because they had this vague notion of let's expand Stampede Park and yeah. that's as far as the plans seem to go because, 
bless their hearts, they're really good at running the Stampede, but they're not land developers. Exactly, and, and that's why it's so encouraging about having CMLC on board well, that, now, leading the master planning, because that's their core competency. Yeah. Stampede's superb at running an event. They're not, you're like you said, they're not a land developer, and there's very good reason why we haven't seen that and, come to fruition. And, and Beyond the, the fact like, that the saddle home is just so buried and so hostile. And that's the thing, like, yeah. you know, the, you know, so ideally, like, the elements that have to come together to give any kind of public value, regardless of the level of public yeah. uh, investment in it is, you need to have something front-facing, something with sort of has, uh, you know, more more street-level interaction. Yeah. You have to have ability for traffic flow. Like, they're going to, you know, the plan is they're going to, I believe they're going to trench the uh, the LRT line below grade and put the road, put 17th Avenue straight I in. think they're doing at grade now. At grade? Okay. Yeah, but, either way, but, but I think they looked be, at both options. Yeah, it but, will cross, though. Yeah, yeah so seven, instead of having, you know, the, the giant terrifying wall behind uh, yeah. the big four building, yeah. they're going to bring 17th invite straight the city in. in. Yeah. And so that'll invite more foot traffic in because now people, you know, people will be able to, you know, park outside of Stampede Park and then just sort of wander in or go to restaurants in 17th and wander yeah. in from the, from the west side. And, on, you know, because realistically, most of the foot traffic now that they're getting is people parking in Inglewood and then going to feed there, then wandering in. And that's a big missed opportunity. So if, you know, if they can get some more stuff there, if they, you know, right now, I think the only real, you know, outside of the saddle home food option really close is Vagabond, yeah. just, north of, just north of there. Yeah. So I think they'd love to have more of that. And I think, honestly, you know, I'm sure the folks who run Vagabond would hate to have their their, their competitive advantage. Yeah, but there's an that. agglomeration effect, too. Like, the more yeah. people that want to be there, the more they'll do better as well like, and, I, and i think that's the yeah kind of thing. and i think i think just that's where there's more opportunity for creativity in the funding deal too is the ancillary uses that happen around it that they're, yeah. they're just not thinking well, of a, a an arena deal they're maybe thinking of a long-term real estate yeah. mechanism that that they have skin in, the flames can have skin in the game and perhaps where they have upside from it's the ancillary uses they're helping yeah. enliven which produce taxes and all these sorts of things there's just a that, that's to the benefit of the flames that's to the benefit of the city and it's certainly to the benefit of the citizens yeah, like, it's just right. how do you match a funding deal with that notion and i think the the big challenge is like you know right now they're you know with the bmo center expansion they're going to yeah. lose a sheet a big really really frequently used sheet of ice at, at the corral yeah so if say hypothetically you know like my my dad plays old timers hockey he's 68 years old he still plays hockey three times a week and one of the things he complains about when he goes to corral is man the parking's really bad i'm like the parking's always gonna be really bad let's be realistic but you know you go down it's one of those places where even if you're going down for something in stampy park you go down five minutes away you have to be there you get in you do your thing you get yeah. Because you know you can go down, you can go down for you could go for a beer afterwards, but you didn't have to drive somewhere else, and what's you know you got to figure out parking again. Yeah. So I think even just for things that you know really you know the ancillary uses like maybe maybe they put a the practice sheet in like the you know, like yeah. in Edmonton they like have, in Edmonton, yeah. Yeah, Edmonton has has the, the community. There's house. no ice downtown at all for for public use. Or yeah, really. that's anyway, outside yeah. of the crowd. And so yeah. if you put in like say if the flames uh, you know if the flames practice rink is there, okay, cool. So they have the, they free up the big building for. You know, concerts and stuff on non-game days, yeah. and they get a chance to get a little bit of revenue for it. I think it's really, really interesting. They, if they get creative, they can come up with all kinds of cool concepts. But I think, I think the the challenge, the challenge for this thing is that uh, we almost have to sort of see renderings and sort of see sort of a list of here are the problem. You know, here's what's going to be in this building, and here are the problems we're aiming to solve yeah. that we have right now. Like say, you know, if the idea is okay. 
the you know the salome's a big monolith well here's some you know we saw the renderings from rossetti a few weeks look good. You know, the they look gorgeous and i yeah. think they're nice they're, and inviting it look like a and, fit into the neighborhood and the 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 rossetti was their architect for uh the little caesar's arena in uh in yeah Detroit. which is and really well gorgeous yeah. it looks gorgeous and they sort of use the inverted bowl system that i yeah. think the the flames want to use yeah and so that way you know it's it's not a huge geographic footprint so it yeah. allows them to sort of keep things compressed and it sort of has that chicago stadium feel where ideally it sort of packs sound in so it's better yeah. for concerts it's better for yeah. for load management for this roof and it's also better for, you know for for you know hypothetically 2025 a hot you know playoff run it gets loud and it stays loud because it traps the sound in there so your observation of the process you talked a little bit about how it fell apart it was it was sort of weirdly tied into a, a election and a political process with no real kind of systematic approach to a negotiation. It was a lot of lobbying, well, it's, volleys it's, back it's and forth. It's weird because, like, uh, you know, the Al Mackey and Kerry Tate at the, the Globe and Mail, I don't think they're both – I think Al's freelance now, but he used to be Globe and Mail. So he and, he and Kerry did a lot of stuff around yeah. – uh, around, basically around election time with that. Basically, you know, Calgary Next came out in, in August of 2015 uh, with the West Village concept. Didn't really work out. The city started trying to push them more towards the Vic Park idea because – Hey, we're already investing in the area. We could, you know, we have a lot of resources we put in. Uh, I believe at that point the 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 possibility of, of floating some CRL support, even just for ancillary yeah. stuff around and tie-ins, was floated out there. Uh, the flames were sort of dug their heels in. Uh, the 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 discussions hit the ditch end of July of uh, 2017. Apparently, there was a meeting that was so substantial that even even Murray Edwards came in. And Murray Edwards lives in yeah. England, so you you know it's either I was I was told before that meeting yeah. either we're gonna have really good news after this meeting, we're gonna yeah. have really bad. And I heard it was virtually unanimous again, like from city council against the proposition. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. it was pretty much all hands on deck. Yeah. Everyone, everyone from council was there. Everyone from the flames, the key people were there, and it did not go well. And no. you know, I'll, I'll say this for, for for the mayor. You know, I, I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth. I think he's a brilliant guy. I think one of the challenges for him is he needs you to know how much he's on the ball about things yeah. and you know I, sometimes it's a character flaw sometimes it's just yeah he's on the ball he sort of knows a lot of details in and out but i think you know if you're someone like murray edwards who has been the ceo of giant billion 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 dollar company since you were you know relatively young yeah you know you're not accustomed to having people say hey i got this man yeah and so i think a lot of, a lot of the a lot of the the difficulties they had at that point might have just been a culture clash or sort of a, yeah. a uh, I don't want to say egos, but sort of it's sort of yeah. two guys who are sub experts in their fields and are yeah. really on the ball about things, sort of clashing heads because they both think they know what, that they're right. I, the thing I always find kind of curious is anyone who sort of followed city council for years, city council moves slowly, but CLC moves fast. The, yeah. the, the, the plans for the, the culture and entertainment district were unveiled by the mayor in a, in, a, in a video. I think John Cornish was in the video with him. And they walked around. Yeah, during the election. During the election. Yeah. They walked around Stampede yeah. Park about th- uh, three, four weeks before the election uh, yeah. the voting day. And, they, and to be honest, I looked at it and went, huh, well, that's the plan I heard from CMLC like six months ago. Because yeah. the idea is they weren't reinventing the wheel. They were saying this, this entity has done a lot of work. We think based on their track record, it'll work. Let's do it. And the Flames, I think, were taking it back because they thought, huh, I thought we were done talking about this. And now, you know, fall, post-election, you had uh, rookie counselor Jeff Davison kind of, uh, kind of take the lead on the creation of this new committee, which has – Public members, as city council members, CMLC's on it. Mal uh, um, Edwards of CMLC's on it as well. What's your observation about how that's functioning towards resolution? Is it just a better systematic approach, less political? 
are, is it going to lead us to resolution on the matter or is just the fundamental issues of funding just going to, no matter what we're, no matter what the structure, the, the process, that's just going to what we're going to run up against and the whole thing could fall apart again. As much as people hate hearing about the minutiae of city council subcommittees. I love it. I love it too because <laughs> the important thing, like I actually, I, I, uh, I had to cover a UFC event uh, last summer. And so, you know, uh, I went to the weigh-ins and I walked across the street and I sat in on, on an entire meeting. Was, you know, and I talked to a few members of the committee and was the, at the meeting, they uh, they approved the terms of reference. And the whole point of terms of reference is it's essentially just the, well, what are we even talking about here, man, yeah. kind of thing. So, I think that a lot of the problems that they that they hit before is sort of the the city saying we'd rather you build in West Village, or we'd rather you not build in West Village. Well, why? Why do you want that? Well, we'd rather you do, we'd rather have these things in here because. Yeah. Well, because why? So if you have a lot of if you do a lot of thoughtful work and sort of go okay, well, you know, if you start with blue sky approach of. Okay, what do we need out of this? Well, need to have a roof. Okay, well, who cares? You know, but if if you're like, okay, yeah. well, it, we need to have it have certain kinds of accessibility. When we say accessibility. Here's the type of things we mean, mean yeah, and yeah. say, okay, well, it needs to, it needs to drive value for the for the area. Yeah. What do we mean by driving value? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it should have you know certain uses. You should have certain level of access, certain things like that. And I think just going out and sort of doing those kind of work as lays a better foundation. Well, that's that thing because like it's yeah. the boring work, but it's the kind of stuff that you know really matters. And then. I think the problem is before you had a lot of people sort of at the table that weren't accustomed to doing that. So yeah. when you sort of get down to the, we'll show your work so I kind of understand where you're coming from, I think that's where sort of the difference in philosophy came about. So yeah. when you have a chance to sort of do that, now, you know, say if Jeff or anyone on the committee or whoever they end up appointing as their official negotiator sit down, officially, unofficially, they all kind of know cards on the table. What do you need out of this? And once you know what the other person needs, it's a lot easier to sort of figure out. It's like, you know, when, when yeah. you know, when me and my wife try to figure out where we're going for food if if we talk beforehand it's like okay you know what have you had what do you have you don't want this yeah it's really that it's really easy to figure out what what you want to do and you don't have to sort of say i'm hungry but don't care what i eat kind of thing and don't decide to figure out where to go to dinner in the middle of a municipal election either no 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 no. (laughs) but you know i think that's really good insight about why i think it could be leading towards success so where's your what's your over under on getting a deal framework signed ready for city council approval now that the season's over the uh, focus can kind of turn to it how long do you think it's going to take how, how okay, close let's, let's based work, on your kind of let's knowledge, work backwards how let's close work backwards so ideally you'd want a month or so of public engagement actually let's say six weeks of public engagement where say you know you have you have a press conference at the beginning of the period and say hey you know the flames flames seat the flames chair and the people on the committee say yeah we, we, we've come to a, a framework like, we've, we've agreed on a framework and we're we're going to, you know, because there's public money involved, we want to sort of have a discussion about what's in, what's not in, and sort of answer Do you think questions. they're close even to that point of, of a framework agreement? I think they're getting there. Yeah. I think they're getting there because they they have the terms they uh, they have the term sheet they put together. The yeah. term sheet is basically and the just, money's allocated from the city, so they must the flames must actually, know what's yes, going yeah, to. Yeah. yeah, literally yesterday they, yeah. they sat down, and they sort of put the money uh, from uh, from for the four mega projects into one fund. Yeah, so the money is in the bank. They have money in the bank. Uh, I think it's about three three. Million, yeah. I guess I heard 389, three, yeah, yeah, three something or other. So a lot, yeah. There's and that's not just for for the for the event center arena, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. It's also for and this is the cash portion. This is the so cash the, portion. So this would be the this would be the yeah. city's cash portion. Yeah. So there could be other CRLs, other stuff too involved. Right? Yeah, and, so. and you know, realistically, you know, depending on how you know, let's be honest, the 600. Let's let's just say hypothetically, it's a 630 million dollar arena. Which means uh, the old financial framework was a third, a third, a third. So you'd say 
the flames fronting. The, Not according to the flames. That'd be two hundred percent flames <laughs> because of the because of the, the difference in philosophy. Yeah. So if, yeah. if they're on the same page philosophically, yeah. Then a third, a third, a third would be about two hundred and ten million funded from the flames, two hundred and ten million of cash from the city, and then Something someone else. would borrow two hundred. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you need to, you realize if it's if it's six ten or six six thirty, you'd probably need to have six thirty in the bank. Yeah. So the the city already has money in the bank. They have a better lending rate than the flames would and i think uh, yeah. when we were talking to i think we talked to the mayor about this uh, right after the, everything fell apart he said we're fine with borrowing the money so presuming that the city's credit rating hasn't fallen the toilet which it hasn't it might actually be slightly better than it used to be yeah then you know the city would would you know front i think 420 million or so and then they get shovels in the ground and then over a period of however long the flames would you know with a ticket tax whatever mechanism they want to call it would gradually pay that down and yeah. then maybe realistically the le the lease is going to be what the lease is uh the flames were a tenant te technically the stampede until 94 95 when they the were city took over yeah, yeah and the, the, the city took over the city yeah. took over and then they leased it out to the flames to operate because the idea was the people who own and operate this you know own a, a pro team and are the main tenant are probably better suited to running it than the than city bureaucrats are which I think it's turned out pretty well, and you know, generally speaking, that's sort of what ends up happening in every NHL city. Either yeah. either they get AEG or Oakview Group or another sort of arena operations company to run it, or you know, the Oilers lease the uh, lease uh, Rogers Place from the city, they, and they operate the building. I believe uh, it's pretty much standard operating procedure in most places. So, yeah. I think and, that, and a lot of people don't realize, like under the Municipal Government Act, that. The city actually has the ability to negotiate it, uh, like a, a property tax. So it's not just yeah. based on pure market value. So that's yeah. that's an exception for professional sports facilities. It's a weird only. exception yeah. too, eh? Yeah, but, it was. I think it was cooked up by you know in '95 yeah. when they were renegotiating or yeah. re-renovating the building and just trying to find a bit of a sustainable financial yeah, so model. I, for... I think right now the Flames play a buck a year, or I guess technically the Saddleone Foundation, which yeah. is ostensibly the flames pay a buck a year to the city for the for the lease yeah. and then the condition of the lease is uh they've indexed the a certain amount so that i think right now it's uh, about 2.1 million split between three ways so it's yeah. about 700 700 million 700,000 and change to uh, parks foundation to win sport and to hockey canada and yeah. that's the lease so yeah. essentially for for the three room of the building they pay a dollar and then about 2.1 million and then anything on top of that they uh, they just pocket. So the challenge is, you know, right now with uh, an old, old building that is, you know, it was 11 rows deep in water and they were only able through the insurance to really make things as they were. They weren't yeah. able to fix a lot of things. It, there's some operational challenges there. And, yeah. you know, uh, Ken King flat out said, we're, you know, based on the way that the NHL does their, their, their math uh, and runs their operating schemes, the, they, they claimed that they were getting uh, financial assistance from, uh, from the other leagues, from, from the, uh, I forgot the mechanism's called. But yeah, they, they pretty much are getting revenue sharing because yeah. they're, I think, below the middle of the league yeah. in terms of revenue, revenue because yeah. it's an old old building yeah. and it's sometimes a tough draw yeah so well i mean i think everyone many people agree it's needed i think it's just everyone's just curious to see how the deal comes together so that's the end of our arena segment so if you have no interest in talking about actual <laughs> hockey we're going to turn to hockey now now we're going to complain about james neal <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll talk about many things, but I, the first thing I want to talk about, as I mentioned, I'm a lifelong Flames fan. This is a not an easy team to cheer for sometimes because 
they have they've had a couple spurts of extreme success coupled with long periods of missing playoffs or going out in the first round. I, I, we have where we like specialize in going out in the first I, round. I've compared uh, the flame fan relationship with the team like Charlie Brown in the football <laughs> where the every it was weird this year because it seemed like this was a really good team this year and it seemed to a certain extent you know the fan reaction was I don't know if I'm supposed to get excited yet. I know. Am maybe, I supposed to get excited? Maybe once, once we're past the first round, that's the thing. Like put, well, put first of all, put the season in historical context. We have how many times have the Flames won a division A and won a conference? Like I, I, I'm not putting you on the spot. It's not very many. Okay, let's this put it this way. Since they won the Stanley Cup, since they won in since '89. Yeah. So thirty. Uh, they, they won the conference in '89, '90. Yeah. And I think they won a division twice, and then they won the division in 05, 06 when they changed the name again. Yeah. So I think. So we're talking like four times in 30 years that they've had, like, they've been this competitive yeah. in terms of uh, a regular season record. Yeah, this was a scary good regular season team in the sense that yeah. they didn't really have a lot of dips. I think the longest losing streak they went on was four. They never really, you know, they got blown out a couple times. But when they did, like, that, like, I remember that game against Pittsburgh vividly because I was sitting upstairs yeah. watching the game through my hands being like, oh, God. What are, like, yeah. It was, you know, it was basically four weeks of the, you know, early gullets and flames with they couldn't yeah. they couldn't complete a pass in the defensive zone and save their lives. They couldn't get the puck out, yeah. and everything went in the back of the net against it was Pittsburgh. Just, it was a, it was a dark day. I remember yeah. like we're both on Calgary Puck. Shout out to Calgary Puck. Uh, <laughs> I know a few of you listen. Um, I, I remember right after the game, I posted a thread. It was a, it was a little hasty. It was called "A Quarter Century of Misery," <laughs> in which I laid out the context of. They've missed the playoff 14 times. They've made the playoffs 10 times. Eight of those 10 times, roughly, they've not got past the first round. The two exceptions being uh, four years ago in that sort of magical run yeah. uh, with Bob Hartley's team, Johnny Goudreau's rookie, and the 2004 and, run. And, and every other year was a first-round exit or a miss the playoffs. And, let, and let's be honest, like since, you know, to a certain extent, and then all of a sudden from, it turned from about from about let's see ninety the Gulf War was what ninety one from about like ninety one ninety two until about two thousand four they were they were not making a lot of money they were yeah. losing money hand over fist yeah I, I gotta give you know and pre salary cap pre salary right? yeah pre salary cap so they the, couldn't compete the the, the 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 Canadian there's two things that really helped the Flames one was the two thousand four Cup run which was fantastic and really people went from not caring about the Flames at all to having car flags and having they sold a ton of red jerseys just the red jersey sales and yeah. were enough to make them put them in the black for the year yeah. the other thing that did and you know people don't really realize this. The Calgary Flames wouldn't be in Calgary without for two guys, Gary Bettman and Harley Hoshkiss. Yeah, Harley Hoshkiss twice went to bat for the team for the small market team. I almost booed when you said Gary Bettman because it's like a reflex, but well, you're but, like, <laughs> but you're saying Bat- Bettman and Hoshkiss. Flames fans owe, uh, owe him a lot Harley, for the survival of the team. Harley Hoshkiss was the uh, the chairman of the NHL's board of governors for about ten years. Uh, one of the things he did was he basically said we need to do more, more for small market Canadian teams. Like if you don't, if you want this to be, you know, the the league that it was, we need to figure out ways to figure out the Canadian dollar because the Canadian yeah. dollar that for mo- much of the '90s was tra- basically early in the early aughts too was trading at about 65, 63, 
know, low 60s. Yeah. And you're competing against guy against Detroit, Boston, LA, all these big rich Just ownership. Crushing yeah, and, and if, you're, if, if you're losing 40 cents on the dollar to every dollar yeah. that they're spending, and you're paying them in you're paying your guys in Canadian in American dollars, and you're get, taking their revenue in Canadian dollars, it just doesn't work. No. So they put in the Canadian equalization plan in the 90s, and it kind of it helped. It didn't it didn't solve things because you still had the well everyone else is the rich teams that could buy yeah. So the the other thing they put in during the 0405 uh, lockout was the salary cap. So based on that, okay, you can you can compete. And since 05, since the since yeah. that lockout, the Flames have spent to the cap. Yeah. They had every excuse in the world to be mediocre when the t- when the team was yeah. you know being outspent and losing you know forty cents on the dollar. That went out the window in 0405 because okay, cool, you're on an even playing field now. Stop yeah. your complaining, compete. And it took them a few years to figure out. Daryl yeah. Sutter for years. Daryl, the thing that drove Daryl Sutter mad was trying to replicate the 2014. Because well, but they were a competitive team they, for five years under that yeah. regime. Like, Kip, yeah. I mean, a lot of it was Mika uh, Kiprasov. And again, and again, like it was a two superstar team with a lot of mediocrity. You can make a case of Robin Regeer was the third guy because yeah. I think Regeer yeah, mastered a style of play. Yeah, and you know he didn't take a lot of penalties. He took a lot of punishment, battering the hell yeah. out of guys on the boards. Absolutely. But it was a th- it was three really really good players and. Daryl flailing in the background, trying to fill them out with a team. And I think the challenge is Daryl's team philosophy was a certain thing. He came up in a certain era, and he had a certain philosophy of what hockey was supposed to be. And then the new NHL happened in 2005-06, and he couldn't really figure out how to reassemble a team based on the new rules. Yeah, yeah, and didn't the drafting wasn't fantastic in that era either. But yep. but here we are. So like we had a season where there was a lot of change in the off season. I think a lot of Flames fans would agree Brad Trilliving is a fantastic GM at trading. His his record on on free agent signings, significant free agent signings, is very hit and miss, I think would be the great way to describe it. You have the Troy Powers and James Neals, but you also have the Michael Ferleeks and you know Derek Ryans that have been success stories. So and 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 David Reddick, yeah, and David Reddick, they, yeah, they found Roman Shrevenko. Or well, Shrevenko was uh, was was uh, Nakladol. <laughs> Yakim Nakladol was another guy they really hit the on the Yakim Nakladol era. Yeah, <laughs> um, Nak City. But talk about you know given all the changes and the coaching change, like what what went right for the Flames across the roster? Like why were they a comfortably first place team? By the end of the year in the conference, let's talk about the good first. I, what went right? I would put a lot of it towards uh, that nine-one loss because it's a for the most part it was a veteran team. You know, if you're coming in, you're like, oh, you know, like yeah. You know, I try to think of it like think about it if you're Johnny Gaudreau. Like Johnny Gaudreau is on his third coach in what five years? Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I need to play. I know coach, you know how to play hockey, you know. But if you're the if you're a team and you're sort of you know a veteran-related team. And you have a lot of guys, yeah, yeah, I know. And then, you know, you sort of, in the first month of the season, you get your ass kicked yeah. in the same way. Not just, like, pretty much every, you know, it was basically... It was chicken, a real shock. It was the, the chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. It was every single flaw of the team laid bare. It yeah. was, your goalie is a 36-year-old guy, and he needs you to make life easy for him because otherwise life is going to be like this all the time. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you can't, you know, you need to play in groups of five because if you do, you know, Mill uh, Peters calls them, I think, uh, short quick, sort of. Their transition game is based on short passes, like defense to defense yep. to winger, and you're out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, it was... Like, it was, the, for, like the contrast being like the Hartley system for the stretch, stretch pass. Yeah. yeah. And Long, oh, like tip the, it in. There was yeah. so many games. I remember vividly. There was a game, a one nothing game they had. It was Hartley's last year, or Glenn Galton's first year, where I think Anaheim scored in like late first period, and the rest of the game was... Like Brody stretch past someone. Oh no! Someone of the Ducks just sort of icing. swats it down. Yeah. So it's either it's got swat down in the neutral zone, or it missed and it was icing. Yeah. yeah. And they and they 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 were lucky to lose one nothing. They it could was, have lost by a lot. I, it was excruciating hockey. I remember. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't love that. And and no. to be honest, like when 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 your team is not particularly skill laden, yeah. you have to say, okay, boys, we're gonna play a grinding system and we're gonna rely on the on the hail marys because you don't really have the capability to do other things. Yeah. And but because you well, know, this they, team has it. Well, that's the thing because I think once you realize you can play with speed, it's like, okay, well, how do you play with speed? Well, yeah. you need to have these short passes to the neutral zone. So it's tr- the transition game is the key to the speed. And yeah. I think. They got into some of their bad habits that they retained through Glenick, Colts, and Zara was too much, you know, a little bit too cute, a little bit too many stretch passes. A lot of perimeter play. A lot, yeah. yeah sort of relying too much on the speed and yeah. instead of instead of relying on okay, we're gonna we're gonna play fast transition and get get them back on their heels, and then by yeah. the time they even get back to the zone, we've gotten a couple scoring chances off. I think once they got their heads kicked in, they like that next game they played against Washington was fantastic. They which they lost, right? They lost in a shootout, but they were so good in that game. They were really good. You could see the turnaround. And then they basically didn't have a bad game until probably Christmas. Yeah. And they just you know they they might have lost by a goal or two you know on on some mistakes, but it's like okay, well you're you're playing a system and there's going to be mistakes and you'll learn from them. And then they just kept rolling along. They were able to you know they were lucky because you know Mike Smith. Didn't have a great first half of the year. No. I think he was fighting it. He was kind of not. He was kind of you know. He's thirty six up until this season. I think he had uh, he missed a couple of games with a lower body injury this year. And the four previous years, he missed about at least a week, two yeah. weeks every year with a lower body injury. You know, anyone who's in their thirties will tell you. You know, your your knees start to ache, your hips start to ache. You can take care of yourself as best you can. But Elliot Friedman always says, "Father time is undefeated." Yeah. And so Mike Smith, I think, felt. Father time a bit early in the year, and then he lost the net, and then I think he was sort of going, "Oh God, what the hell's yeah. going on?" So there's a big there was a big systems and a big team psyche shift after yeah. that. But let's talk a bit about you know some of the roster. You know, clearly Elias Lindholm on that top line was a major factor. The times the Flames won through the middle of the season at a very high clip, that was one of the truly dominant lines in the NHL, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think the nice thing was like you had. A really good offensive line, like they, they for for the most part, they always the, the the most common groupings that Bill put out was they had the the Kachuk Monahan or the Kachuk uh, Backlund Froelich line, yeah. occasionally Zarnik on that line too, yeah. and they always put them on the shutdown against the other team's best players. Yeah, with, and it worked. And they put it with Giordano and Brody, yeah. and occasionally Rasmus Anderson, yeah. and that always worked. And then so you could basically put out the Monahan line it's with with uh, with Hamilton and yeah. Hamannick, yeah. and it could work. And then you know you managed to figure out a way so that they they could be, you know, all the tough matchups were given to those those. 10 guys yeah. and then if you're Jankowski trying to figure out your game and you know he was able to build himself into a PK specialist uh, Derek Ryan was able to you know figure out his game and have a phenomenal Second last half, two yeah. even yeah. last two thirds of the season like yeah. last 50 games yeah, he was phenomenal absolutely. yeah and, and, and finding that chemistry build. with Manjipani coming in and Hathaway who's very kind of underrated unsung hero that line really gelled at the end of the year and really kind of carried the team while the top line started to struggle a bit yeah well i think that's the thing because you know if you're you know if you're if you're a top top guy like you can only take so much 
of the grind yeah. before you're like, okay, I'm kind of I'm kind of done here for a while. Well, it felt like Monahan especially. Like he, I don't know. Like I know he had some injury, but he he, uh, he cracked a, a big bone in the stomach. Yeah, he took a, I think he took a slash. The, yeah, the, what we were told was, but he was struggling. He, he cracked down, a bone in his stomach. Like he was really struggling down the stretch, and it was really causing some problems for that top line. It seemed like. Yeah, and I, you know, Monahan. Yeah. Monahan's willing, you know. I don't. I don't want to cast aspersions of the guy because he. Played, oh, he's phenomenal. He played. He got. He had four surgeries last year. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. And he was. You could tell he was laboring. But when you talk to him. He's like he's. He, the, the, he always says. I remember the story I was told by one of the scouts. And I think I was a scout, and I feel bad because you know it's a phenomenal detail. Uh, what Monahan's draft year? He played the Ottawa 67s, and Ottawa was bad that year. Yeah. Monahan was the only reason to go to watch the games. Yeah. The thing is, here's the thing about Monahan. Monahan just loves to play hockey. You know he loves his team. He you know he's a good soldier. He's a good teammate. Yeah. Every, you know you never hear anyone say a bad word about him outside of the fact that he's kind of boring in interviews. But so in, but the he, guy he, like he hurt it, his shoulder yeah. two thirds of the way through the season, and I think by that time Ottawa's way up all yeah. out of it. And it drops draft position maybe it, a little a bit. little bit. Yeah. But the thing is like he still played. Like he insisted yeah. on playing. They gave him the option like, hey man, we know you're kind of banged up. And uh, you know I think one of the coaches one of the one of the the story I was told was basically the coach is like, yeah, we'll give Sean tomorrow off. And you know it was like a back to back or three and three or something weird like that and they left his cure at the, at the rink and he came you know went to he got on the bus it's like where's my stuff and they're like oh you're got the thing i was like well black f that i want to play yeah and so he's you know he just he you know he, he could, likes to play through he could yeah. be on fire yeah. physically on fire and, and he would be fun. like i'm fine yeah and that's really cool that's commendable but yeah there's a certain but sometimes you can tell, like his shot yeah. disappears, its yeah. strength disappears through an or, injury. And if you're it's like, if, guy, in, just rest. If, if you're self-conscious, you know, a lot of his game yeah. is playing up the middle and sort of using his size to sort of get in, get position yeah. on guys and sort of chip it in. So many of his goals are right around the slot, right around the the perimeter of the crease. If you're playing with a broke, if you know you're playing with a with a busted up hand, yeah. maybe you don't know the severity of it. Maybe you don't want to talk about the severity of it. But you know psychologically that your hand's kind of messed up. You're going to be a little self-conscious about going to the areas you used to go to because yeah. you probably remember how it happened. So we talked about the historically good regular season, really. So what went wrong in the in the four games they lost against Colorado? Like what what happened to this team that had so much confidence, so much going? How can you explain it? Is it is it experience? Is it just a, a team that rolled in hot that had a, a game plan that was effective? combination of those things was a loss of confidence on the flames pressure where where do you think the downfall was like why are why are they out in five games why are they one of the four division winners to lose which was because there's a curse on this team i think there was a curse uh i think the big challenge the big thing was like if if you know like this let's be honest they knew they were home and cooled since they were they officially clinched a playoff spot on saint patrick's day they were off that day someone else lost they got they backdoored in and they won. They won the division with about ten days left. Yeah, they had a they had a long runway of knowing they were a playoff team for a while, know they were first for a while, psychologically, likely, and then psychologically, a clinch for a while. There, there's battle tested and there's battle tested. Like Colorado was battle tested. They they, they were already in playoff. They mode. they had yeah. they had played the last year. They had lost in the first round. They had the, the sour taste in their mouth, and they were terrified of missing the playoffs. So they played playoff hockey, even though at the last month they were missing. At least one of Landis Gogoran, and for pretty much the entire time, they didn't actually have all three guys. Do you think that's what caught Tampa too in a similar kind of way? I mean, they were they were like a shoe in for first place in December. I mean, (laughs) you can't. I don't think I don't think that you can create desperation. I don't think you can create hunger. So if you're facing someone you know is going to be hungry, I think it's difficult. It's uh, so many years in a row. Like you know, 
this will sort of be a weird comparison, but there's so many years in a row where the Flames slept walk through the preseason. And it was veteran teams that sort of were like, oh, you know, these guys are veterans. They'll be ready for the pre. They'll yeah. be ready for the regular season. And then they sort of, you know, the, their intensity level, their battle level in games wasn't really amazing. But it's that preseason. Everyone's like, oh, well, yeah. you know. And, and the, the expectation didn't feel like the intensity well, ramped the up in the playoffs, like, right? I don't, think you flip, I don't think you can just flip the switch. No. We've seen that between preseason and regular season for, for several seasons with this group. This season, I thought they had one better preseason than they've had because yeah. they had guys sort of you know you had Anderson pushing and you had Dubé pushing you had Manji Pani pushing you had so many young guys who are sort of saying even if it's just bottom pressure on the bottom six and the third pairing you had a little bit of huh who's going to be the who's going to be on this team so there's sort of a little yeah. bit of pressure but by the time you got to you know the last month of the season yeah. you knew who was playing game one you knew yeah. who's starting game one you know who the defensive pairings yeah. are you know you sort of knew everything so it wasn't really anything to, yeah, to just, determine it just felt like they were uh, a step behind like the, the avalanche were really in like really in sync as a team and the flames just look out of sync they weren't quite executing on their chances they were being kind of outskated and outcompeted. The, the teams that are doing the best right now in the playoffs, uh, Colorado had to battle their way in. Yeah. Uh, St. Louis were last place on January first. Had to battle their entire way. They're my pick to win. Carolina, the game, Carolina, bless their hearts. Yeah. I know. I know a lot of people work for the team. Yeah. They 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 battled in. They got yeah. in the second like the second last game of the season. They had one game to basically throw ice packs at everybody, and then they had to be thrown to the wolves against Washington. And the interesting right, the, thing with the Flames too is I think everyone was the the biggest worry. Everyone everyone had was goaltending and that that ended up being the least of their concerns in the playoffs like it's just it's so hard to uh, predict isn't it the thing is i'm still terrified with their goaltending because like yeah. okay so like i wrote something for the hockey writers about this today up front everybody important sign forever except for kachuk okay yeah. you can sign kachuk you figure out the rest yeah. of it you have dube who's cheap you have yeah let's Magic. actually let's officially turn to the offseason let's officially like, turn to the offseason let's yeah. turn to the offseason because yeah let's and let's start yeah. with goaltending because yeah. I think everyone assumes that, you know, David Riddick's an RFA, but he he'll, be not, he'll be back. He'll be back, I guess, with with <laughs> someone maybe like him or something. Like, like, I like are they going to platoon the, 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 the goaltending? Oh, here's, or they, here's or is he the starter and they're Here, finding a true backup? Here's a question. Like, would you, as good as he was for the last six weeks, and especially good for the last 10 days of the season, 14 days, however many it was, would you trust a 37-year-old guy to be the guy no because i think you almost i think you almost need to throw riddick to the wolves like because riddick didn't play because he had a knee injury yeah so they were lucky that when smith was fighting it and feeling every bit yeah. 36 years old yeah. that riddick, riddick was like riddick was fire. and yeah. then he got he, riddick got hurt they swapped things they basically swapped things over to uh to smith he and picked smith, up his game yeah, yeah smith smith played the best hockey i've seen him play in the last 10 years yeah but he's still 37. Yeah, the the decline is going to be hard. I just I don't think I, I can't see a scenario by which they bring back Mike Smith unless they've exhausted every yeah. other possibility I, and they sign him to like a one year contract. If, if I'm if I'm Brad for living, the conversation goes something like this: Mike, we really appreciate everything you did in the last two years. It, you know, thank you for your service. We can't offer you the money you probably want right now. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We want you. Know, we're gonna go figure out our cap things. We have the we have the Kachuk thing. We got yeah. Bennett. We got all kinds of stuff to figure out. And we, you know, Riddick, you know, David's probably gonna be our guy. But tell you what, before you sign anywhere, go see what you can get. And then before you sign anything, come back and talk to me. Yeah. And we'll see what we can do. I can't guarantee you anything. But you know, like before before you before we turn the page on this, we're not closing the door. We're just saying come back and talk to us because we think really highly of you. But it's gonna be a challenge. Yeah. Financially. 
team feel wise you know we, we don't know what our options are yet we both need to figure out what's going on yeah so i see someone i could see someone i see them positioning riddick to be the start of the future i think there's enough sample size there yeah. with a good backup that can can cover like, I'm, I'm like a, maybe like a out thomas there, grice or someone Keith kincaid's like, gonna be a ufa I, up until yeah. this year and like like to be the weird thing is kincaid was fabulous for the yeah. devils when schneider was sort of all over the place but yeah. then then the the blackwood came up and they're like well you got nothing to do with kincaid yeah. like, so kincaid isn't really old he's not really young i think he's like around 30 around 28 29 30 something like that so are there any are there any ufas in that category or is this going to happen through a trade uh, probably well kincaid's a ufa so yeah. i can see kincaid i can see maybe maybe them doing a trade of the draft or something but yeah i think i think the goaltending things they still need to figure out because that's got to be priority well one, like right? if you look at every other position like if you look at defense like what's the succession plan well you could probably put anderson in brody's position if you want to trade brody if you want to yeah. sort of figure out something else uh you, you can know. trade from a position of strength Indeed. you can arguably trade for yeah. a position of strength in almost pretty much every other position because yeah. they have you know they have dube who's not here yet they have you know the, they got manjapani's Adam, really manjapani's good yeah. Uh, you know, Manjipani's not gonna. He's gonna. Yeah, their core is actually really young on the forward group. And even even their yeah. even their depth guys, like yeah. you know, realistically, the oldest depth guy they have is Froelich. He might be yeah. moved. Uh, they might bring back Hathaway. They might not, depending on on cost. Uh, Fire Hathaway. I think someone mentioned this book. I, I wouldn't price myself out of the NHL. Uh, like he he has a role. If he's trying to look for big money. He's gonna if, he's gonna have a hard time making rosters. If, if I'm him, it's like you know if you could if you can eke out a living making a million bucks in a Canadian market where you know you, people love you but they yeah. don't really know what you look like. I think you're in good shape. If suddenly you're making two and a half. It's maybe it tough. We'll ask Lance Bowman how that yeah, worked out. Yeah, exactly. So so like yeah like I think one of the you alluded to it like the the, the Rasmus Andersons, the Oliver Shillingtons, the Yusuf Val- Valimaki, like the core group of. Those you have four defensemen, twenty-two and under, that are NHL ready, ready to go. Yeah. You have older guys on expiring contracts at the end of next year, like Brody and Hamannick. That are you trading one? You, you of, if probably, you're, if you're, you probably want to bring back Hamannick if you can, yeah. because he brings something so, that no one and else. And he's does. so good. To, they don't yeah. have any. They don't have a skill set internally, and he's really hard to get. Yeah. And they paid a lot he for him. He did struggle a bit in the playoffs, though. Like everyone struggled. Yeah, in playoffs, everyone though. did though. But <laughs> the, 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 like the thing with the thing with uh, Hamannick is Hamannick is just he's so good. He yeah. knows exactly what he is. He has that shot. He plays really well between the blue lines. He's a he's a you know, yeah. an absolute beast to play against in the corners. Like he, he's a very nice human being. I don't think he enjoys hurting people, but yeah. he's pretty good at it. Yeah, I think Brody's the one that he has a lot of value still. I mean, he's, he's, he, Teacher Brody, he's a puck moving defenseman, yeah. and he moves really well. He played top pairing minutes. He has no. Like his stamina is incredible on the Bro- ice. Brody yeah. would probably be outside the fact that you know uh, Bill Peters seems to like right left pairings, and he seems to like there's an element of chaos to Brody's game, which gives a lot of coaches gray hairs. And I think you can you can sell the concept of hey, here's a guy we don't really have a spot for him because of how well Anderson's doing. We need to open up some cap space for Kachuk, goalies, etc. We need to figure out you know looking ahead to 2021. You know, realistically, do you think Brody's either... used to, for picks, or do you think they shore up another position, maybe I think, center ice? I think it depends because yeah. the, the nice thing about the draft, I, I've been to one of them, and that was the Hamannick draft, and you know, I feel like an idiot because I was talking to Greg Rosenchi from, uh, he was then at Yahoo, now at ESPN, and on my way, you know, it was like beginning of the second day. For people who haven't been to the NHL draft, the first draft, the first round of the draft is like three hour prime time event on uh, Friday night, and then the rest of the thing starts at 10 a.m. and runs until it's done. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the Flames that year didn't have a second round pick, didn't have a third round pick. They picked 
first, and then they had a, nothing till the fourth round. Yeah. So I made the dumbass assertion to go, ha, 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 I'm here covering the flames. I have nothing to do because yeah. the flames don't pick for the fourth round. And then we sort of like, I'm like, he's like, what do you think I'll make a trade? I'm like, I don't know, maybe Hamannick. Who yeah. knows? And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. And then so I go, I, I'm down doing doing interviews and talking to people, and someone, you know, I rump into someone who, who works for the NHL. He's like, hey, uh, Pike, what the hell are you doing here? I'm uh, just killing time. You, uh, the, your your team just made a trade. Get your ass in the gear. So I I, the, yeah. I I spent running around. But the the thing with the draft is, you know, you have all the GMs there, and Tri Living's really good at knowing what people want, and yeah. really good at sort of you know figuring things out, and for lack of a better term, badgering people into figuring out the deals. Yeah. He's very persistent. Did do you think the agent situation for a leak sort of sealed his fate with the team, or is he a useful player to keep around? He's useful, but the the big question is like, okay, you're you're paying. You're going to be paying Sam Bennett like two million and change, and let's be honest, Similar is it role. more important to get what you can out of Sam Bennett than it is to keep Foley around? Yeah, obviously out of Sam Bennett. Yeah. yeah so like yeah. you know, and you know, Sam Bennett's agent is, is Darren Ferris. He always represents Mitch Marner. So I think in an ideal world, you want you would love for Sam Bennett to be a six million dollar player. Yeah. No one, there's no one involved that wouldn't that would be unhappy. And I think the big problem is like okay, it's the same thing with you know the problem with James Neal this year. Where yeah. you know if you're James Neal, you're not fast enough to play with the the uh, the top line because Lindholm is better at that role. Yeah. You're not good enough at the defensive side of the game to be a shutdown guy. So you're bottom six. And the same thing's happening with with uh, Bennett right now because on the left side you're behind Kachuk, you're behind Gaudreau. On the right side you're behind Lindholm, you're behind Frolik. So unless you're happy with jettisoning Frolik, Bennett's yeah. probably stuck. So you probably want to create a, an opportunity similar to how they probably want to. Create an opportunity by jettisoning Brody potentially for Anderson to grow. Yeah. You have two guys that you developed and drafted and really want to see succeed and are cheaper than the guys that are going to be replacing. So you might as well give them a chance to grow into those roles. So I think those are the two moves I'd probably anticipate. Something with Brody. What do you, what do you think about Lee. Mark Tankowski? Like, where's his future on he, this team he, down the middle? He is what he is. He's. Uh, is he's, he a trading chip at this point, uh, you think? Like, packaged with a Brody for, like, another center depends, or something? Depends. Like, if the deal's up. Real, realistically, he's your fourth best center, yeah. but he's also getting paid the fourth most. Yeah. He's... Pretty good at penalty killing. He's got he's got a good good shot. He's finally learning to play. He doesn't play mean enough for for a lot of people's views. But he's a yeah. six foot four, two hundred and ten. But he doesn't use his body. Like, he he's just, starting to like if you yeah. look at his, his for uh, boxing out like protecting. He, puck, yeah, he, but his puck I've never seen him better. hit anyone. And and that if, yeah. if you can if you can say you know you you say say okay we want you to put on a little muscle we want you to take up you know go to a boxing gym and sort of develop your upper body because we want you to start banging around a bit. Yeah. If 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 he's he's probably going to be realistically long term. He's behind Backlund. He's not. He's probably not going to surpass Backlund. Yeah. He's behind Monahan. He's probably not going to surpass Monahan. And maybe, maybe, maybe he can be better than Derek Ryan. Okay, yeah. cool. So you have. He's not going to make a lot of money for probably a while because the numbers aren't there yet. So he'll be cheaper than Derek Ryan probably on his next contract. And so you've got two, three, maybe four years. Realistically, with Jankowski, you probably don't protect him at the expansion draft. If you lose him, you're probably going, hmm, yeah. well, guy drafted uh, you know, a late-round project pick that you got some years out of and you won some games with, yeah. and okay, you move on. So you don't see much tinkering on the front end. Like, I remember like, I, the I, day I, after the, the loss, there was a lot of people going like, hey, you know, is this the time to kind of look at the core? Like is is a you're, guy you're gonna blow apart a like they had five they had five I, guys I don't, I don't they had think, five players yeah. on the team yeah. in the top fifty in scoring exactly they, like realistically yeah. you know in a thirty team league you should have like what one thirty yeah. first of the yeah. top fifty so that's what two yeah. or three guys like they were I could see them like improving the. 
the top nine through a trade of of guy like Brody. But I want to return a bit to the back end first before we wrap up. But like there is a bit of a logjam on the left side. How do you resolve that? Like you talked about maybe Brody on the way out to create some room for Anderson. He's clearly showed that he's got some chemistry with with Giordano on that. The second pair is sort of pretty locked in with Hannafin and Hamannick. But then you got Valmacki, you got Shillington, you have all like where? How do you make space for those two players? Or can one of them play the right side? You think, or is one of them on the way out? I think. Uh, I don't think Valmacki's th- on think the way out. Sh- I think Shillington's played uh, in Stockton. Uh, Shillington played the right side. So that I don't, think, I don't think it's ideal because I think the break yeah. problem is you basically have two guys with Brody esque tendencies in terms of yeah. moving guys who aren't really amazing two hundred foot defensemen. Like if you if you look at the way the the things are constructed. Giordano, really good 200 foot defenseman, really good shot. You know, yeah. he's just he, he's going to win the Norris this, this year. Yeah, he's, he he's, should. He's a prodigious talent. Like yeah. it's, you don't find those guys all the yeah. time. Uh, Anderson, the big issue with him before was his skating, which sort of got in the ways of his defensive play. He's his, so skating smart. Is, his skating oh. is so much better than it was. Yeah, he's, he's, his his foot speed's better. He's dropped some weight. Yeah. He, you know, so he's he's not quite as good. He's you know he's probably got the best shot in the team. Yeah. maybe second behind Hamannick, and he's just. He's just he can just play. Yeah. Uh, the middle pairing, it is what it is. It's they're rock solid. Occasionally good. Occasionally iffy. But generally pretty good. Very steady. Do you think? Do you think Trelleving would ever entertain like a stay with me here a Hannafin trade to make room for Valimaki on that second uh, pier? Long, or long term. Long, long term. He's cost control, which well, is tough to give up, right? Here's here's a, here's a long term. I like Hannafin a lot. I think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, your your long term is. At some point in the next two, three years... Valimaki's the new Geo. Valimaki goes to the first pairing. Yeah. Giordano drops to the third pairing. And they're going to give Giordano every chance he can to retire as a flame. Yeah. He's been so good for so long. He's been at so At some point, he'll, defy, he'll stop defying age. Yeah, oh, really? <laughs> he, like, he's... Uh, he, he wants to... He thinks he can surpass... Like, He's talked about this. He thinks he can beat the Akinola Games play record. He's yeah. about 200 and something behind. He'll do it. If he does it, he'll do it when he's 40 and 41. Like, uh, after his, basically, his, I think they're either the last year of his contract or early in the next one. So I think the long-term plan is they want to figure out a way to he, – he gets they want to give, give him a chance to shoot yeah. a shot. Like, if he wants to retire at the end of his contract, they'll say, cool, thank you. Let us know if you want a job. We'll do whatever you, you can to help you transition to whatever you want to do after this. Yeah. If he wants to play for another year, they'll do year-to-year contracts until he's done. Yeah. But he's he, – he's, uh, but the idea is Valimaki, I think, as soon as they drafted him and as soon as they, they saw him in Tri-City for another year, they go, oh, God. So long term, your your top pairing is probably Valimaki Anderson. Yeah, you probably have Hannafin and somebody else, at yeah. the very least at the for now for probably the next while Hannafin unless someone becomes like they probably they probably weren't entertaining anything with Brody until Anderson came in and was like, holy yeah. crap, this yeah. guy's actually really 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 good and cost control and you know he doesn't have our rights for a little while, so he's 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 everything you'd want in a top pairing defenseman because he's going to be cheap for a little while and then he's going to yeah. get expensive in a hurry, so you might as well make the most of him when he's cheap. James Neal, we touched on it quickly. Uh, the real deal. So. Does he have a future with the Flames? Or oh, he's, he they, has a con- he has four more years left in his contract. He has a contract. I don't. They, I don't think see, think there's any other scenario other than to hope he re- returns to form at some if, point. If you want to be pessimistic, what's going to happen is they're going to give him another year, maybe two years, to sort of figure things out. If he doesn't figure things out, then he sort of bounces around in the in a Brower esque fashion, and yeah. then 
They see if Seattle can be convinced to take him for a nominal fee. If yeah. Seattle's price is too high, yeah. then they buy him out because yeah. the buyout period is immediately after There's the expansion draft. There's a compliance draft. buyout during the expansion draft. So. Uh, well, not compliance buyout. It would be a regular buyout. It'd be oh, like how they, they bought out Brower okay. after being... Yeah, I think the, the buyout period is uh, the week between the draft and free agency every yeah. year. Yeah. So presuming that the CBA doesn't change the interim, and of course it will now, they say it out loud. Yeah. Um, well, let's all hope he finds real deal for him again. Well, it's a tough his, contract. To, we, we did a thing at Flames Nation just sort of looking at sort of like, you know, Hammonick's first year with the Flames wasn't great. Yeah. Brower's first year with the Flames wasn't great. Yeah. Brower played a position, you know, if all of Brower's underlying numbers were garbage. He was yeah. he did not have a good year. Even if you wanted to sort of, you know, shine up the turd, so to speak, it was really difficult to find a silver lining with him. Yeah. Hamannick, Hamannick's numbers really good his first year is the problem was when he and Brody didn't really stylistically fit with each yeah. other. So when the chances went against them, they were really good chances and they ended up behind their goalie. Uh, the problem with Neil this year is he just he got the same kind of scoring chances. He got the same number of scoring chances. He basically played the same way he did before, if not slightly better. The problem was he just couldn't bury anything. No one on the ice it was freaky because I think his personal shooting percentage was like four yeah. percent. His on ice shooting percentage, so only yeah, like there was 6% some bad. The there shot. was some bad luck in there too, and a lot just a yeah. lack of confidence from yeah, him. So a, a lot of a lot of the things that people saw with Hammock were like, man, he seems like he's fighting it, but he seems like he's yeah. playing okay. That's sort of what Neil. Yeah. Neil looks a lot more like a Hammock. And I think everyone's sort of hoping that, yeah. you know, especially, you know, if, you know, poor, poor Neil was sort of bouncing around year after year. He yeah. played a lot, a lot, a lot of hockey. Yeah. Had a lot of miles on him, I think. Yeah. You know, he's it, maybe got to reshape his game a bit yeah. for the modern game a he's bit. He's playing yeah. elevation in Calgary. It's yeah. not as high as Denver, but it's people who've played yeah. on the coast and here say it's a factor. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not used to the city. You're not used to the, yeah. there's a lot of weird things that go on in the background of your life. Like yeah. say anyone moving from city to city to city, you're starting a new job. You don't really know anything. You don't know anyone. You don't yeah. know the city. Goes bad a bit at first. You lose, and then just sort of spirals from there. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think with him having a summer, I think you'll probably see him sort of you know change up his training a bit. I think he might sort of try for a bit different kinds of cardio because yeah. I think a lot, a lot of players underestimate the, the, the elevation, elevation factor. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Last topic, the big thing in the off season, Matthew Kachuk. What do you th- like? When a when do you think the signing happens? Is this uh, last second until? Like the Johnny Gaudreau situation, oh, is, no, it a, no, no. is it a I don't is think it William Amber a holdout? I don't think or they can is it, that. And what? So you think it's happening in the summer? Then normal time frame doesn't miss training camp. I think so. I think yeah. I think the challenge. The, he wants to be here. They want him here. They've been having some yeah. talks, really high level talks. I think the big challenge for them is like you know, Trilling loves doing stuff the draft. Yeah. And I think it's it's going to be a challenge for him to really do anything. Yeah. To take to you know move salary until you know what you're working with. Yeah, like say. So he's trying to try to get it done. What do you think it is? Uh, eight, eight for six years, something like that. I think it's probably about five or six years. I think a fair deal will be seven. I think probably what I would do if I were putting the deal together, I would say you do five or six years. Uh, there's three years left on Giordano's contract. Three years left on on. Uh, Kudrow's contract. If you want to, like the when Brody signed here his first extension, uh, it was before Giordano signed his his uh, big mega deal. Yeah. And so uh, Giordano had a year left, and Brody made a point of doing this. Him and his agent, they took first year salary was a t- like ten thousand dollars less than what Giordano was getting because symbolically yeah. he did not want to make more money than the best player in the team. Yeah. Because he's a smart guy, yeah. so I think what could happen would be, you know, right now Giordano and Gaudreau are both making six seventy five. 
three more years of that. I can see them going three years at 675, and then maybe you do another two or three years at 7.5 or 775 or something, and sort of wherever the hell that turns the cap into, I think it'd be about 730, yeah. 750 something, something like that. But I a could, slightly shorter term, so it hits UFA a bit earlier, maybe. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I think the, the big thing is, you know, if you go, if you go to eight years, it sounds great because you're like, yeah. man, you got you got a good player for eight years. There's a lot. If you're if you're him, like, yeah. if you if you but know, your third contract could be gigantic. Well, look at how the, look at yeah. how the salary caps escalate. Yeah. So I think the big challenge is like, you know, yeah. you want you want to be able to be paid fairly. And I think as much as you want to say, looking at sort of, you know, it's great to get Goudreau to sign long term. It's great to get Monahan to sign long term. If you're their agents, you go, oh God, why did we get these guys to sign for this long? Because if they had, if they had like another chance to do a re-up, they would make a lot more money. Like yeah. hell, like even forty-year-old uh, Giordano in like you know three years, he's what six seventy-five. You know, even if he's going, you, you know, he, that's sort of a weird example because he'll be he'll be able to do performance bonuses. But you know, if he if he wasn't, yeah, do that he'd probably be making seven or eight based yeah. on performance. And yeah. I think that's the you know the way the the cap keeps going up. Like the cap's going to eighty-three next year and probably. 86, 87 the year afterwards, as long as revenues keep growing. And then yeah. Seattle joins, so you have another well, piece On the Flames of the just got really lucky on the timing of Monaghan and Gaudreau, too. Yeah. They, they, they got them locked in before it really escalated. They got really if, lucky with if, Lindholm. If, if they you, signed him long term for cheap oh, yeah. before he exploded. Fantastic. Yeah. So, well, that, that and that'll give him a lot of chance to stay competitive. In this window, I think. Yeah, and so. I, th- I think that's that's the key because I yeah. think that's how you sell guys longer term because yeah. you go like say Kachuk like K okay, man you know we're gonna pay you to be the man here like you know yeah. we don't know what's gonna happen with Goudreau maybe in three years he wants to go home maybe in three years he wants to stay in Canada yeah. who's to say yeah Who, you know maybe if he gets a ring and he's like oh, this is kind of, winning's kind of fun let's hang around yeah maybe he'll stick around like yeah. you know players love love living the city because you know. You don't get harassed, but people know who you are, and it's sort of a nice mix of the of the two worlds. You're sort of, yeah. uh, you know, you're you're uh, recognized, but you're not notorious, so to speak. So, yeah. I, if I if I were saying a number, I would say six years. I would say it's gonna end up around seven point eight. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty pretty much bang on. So, but we'll, see if, it, we'll but, see if you're, we'll see how right you are. But it depends. <laughs> like if say yeah. you know if uh, if Miko Rantanen or someone else signs for more than everyone thinks, then all of a sudden the ceiling's Changes a little bit higher. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of it depends. I think. That's the problem because if you're if yeah. you're one of these teams, you probably I think the, the, he might get more than people are expecting. If only because if you're true living and you just want to get your stuff done so you can go to the draft, you know what you're you know the yeah. what, what cards you have to play, and you know what kind of cap space you have, you know what you need to open up, what you need to dangle. I think it gives you a lot more yeah. a lot more help. But I think you know if you're Kachuk's agent, just hang out. Go to the pool, hang around, away from the call. There's no incentive whatsoever outside of you just don't want to miss games. So if you're if you're Craig Oster, you just want to hang out for the summer, go to the pool, go on a vacation for a week, see what's going on. And I imagine if you're true living, you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the go to the draft the Thursday before the draft. You and I are going to a hotel. I'm gonna we're gonna lock the door and we're just gonna figure this out because yeah. I need to know what I'm doing tomorrow. It, we've blown way past an hour. Where, where can people? You're gonna be working through the draft, through all this sort of okay. stuff. Where can people? find you to follow your work i uh, i'm on flamesation.ca and thehockeywriters.com and i'm occasionally i think we're doing another one this week on the, the fourth line whl cast yeah. very junior hockey so if you're and you're on twitter too and i'm on twitter at ryan and pike i usually live tweet all kinds of things and as far as i know i'm going to be at the draft in june so i might oh, be fantastic. posting a lot of weird uh, potentially <laughs> scoops depending on what happens awesome well look forward to it and really appreciate your time and Here's to being a Flames fan. 
Common Ground YYC is a production of Livewire Calgary. If you value quality local journalism, please consider supporting Livewire by following it on social media, by clicking and reading stories, advertising, or contributing directly via Patreon. Visit livewirecalgary.com 